I'm going to continue on this morning, starting out from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I've been looking at this particular verse and moving out from it over the last past weeks. We're going to read it, get straight into it this morning. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 10 says this, Paul talking to the Ephesians church. He says, for we are God's workmanship. We are His workmanship. We are God's handiwork, God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. This is talking about you and I. These are incredible words that God wants us to rediscover that God wants to frame our expectation with, that God wants to imprint and impregnate in our hearts so that we begin to fulfill them and live out of them every day as we wake up into our world. As we go out into our world, there are many great and good works that God has in store for you and I that have been prepared beforehand for you to walk in. You know, you haven't got to go into your world looking for these good works. No, they're prepared. They're going to find you. They're going to find you. These opportunities, these moments where God is going to use your life, where God is going to create a situation for you to enter, for, to bring Him glory, to bring Him praise, maybe in the life of another. It's wonderful when you begin to allow the Word of God to saturate your mind and saturate your spirit and fill your soul. It generates an excitement. It generates an expectation within you that the Holy Spirit will not disappoint. The Holy Spirit, when the Word of God burns inside you, generates an excitement and an expectation for situations to occur in every day. He will not disappoint that expectation that's generated by the Word of God. If the Word of God dwells within you, if the Word of God is alive within us, it will generate expectations of faith that God will not disappoint. He really won't. That's why Paul said to the church at Colossae, Colossae in chapter 3, Colossians 3, I think it's verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Why? What was he, what was he doing? He just didn't want you know, people to quote the Bible parrot, parrot fashion for them to be walking concordances. No, he wanted them. He wanted that word to so saturate their lives and their minds. He wanted it to be the meditation of their heart to create an expectation for that word to work in the world in which they lived. And here to the Ephesians, Paul is telling them, he's saying, listen, your life is not an accident. Your life is not a mistake. Your life is not just a series of random events that you've got to get through every day that, that, that some people would, would think is, is life. No, your life is not an accident. Your life is not a mistake. Your life is designed. It's under the hand of God. It's His workmanship. And whatever God works at, whatever God creates, whatever 
God puts his time and his attention into, he brings all of himself. He never holds back. And when it comes to our lives, God invests everything that he is, all of his power, all of his resources to create something beautiful, to create something magnificent. And this is what Paul was saying to a church that was struggling with a mentality that was poor. They'd come from a, a saturated world of sin and wickedness that had, that had broken them and, and, and made them so ashamed. Some of the things that went on in Ephesus in their culture, they'd been bound by sin and, 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 and chained to all kind of manner of things that had made them ashamed. And Paul writes a beautiful letter to the church. He says, you're not what you think you are. You're what God says you are. You're the workmanship. You're his workmanship. And though there may, be a, may have been a time in your life where your life has been mishandled and mistreated and abused by this world and the elements of, of this world, and it's, it's brought havoc and damage within you, things have changed now. He's found you. He's redeemed you. He's brought you back to life. He's seated you in heavenly places. Your life is His workmanship. And there's nothing that He would withhold from investing and laying at your disposal for your life to thrive. He didn't even hold back His Son, Jesus. His greatest prized possession, He sent Him to the cross. Jesus willingly went. And in order... To, to bring God everything that he had sacrificed his life for, Jesus rises from the dead. And in him we rise with him. And this is what Paul was saying. There's no investment. There's no, there will never be anything that you lack. You say, well... That's not how I see life. Well, maybe we need to adjust how we see. Maybe we need to read God's Word. Maybe we need to meditate on it day and night. Maybe that needs to be the, 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 the priority of our time. So our mind and, and our expectations can be reframed. Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, says this. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What's he saying? That's God's greatest investment. That's the prize, the darling of heaven. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up with us all for us all how will he not with him freely give you all things let's not water it down let's not cut the promises to bits let's believe them in the totality let them let let them dwell within you richly and when there's any counter message to contradict god's word and god, contradict that expectation of faith for your life I'm telling you now, stand up to it with the Word of God and the Word of your testimony and the sword of the Spirit and deal with it. Deal with it. 
You never have to be ashamed of your life. You never have to be embarrassed about your life. Why? Because it's the handiwork of God. It's God's workmanship. It's God's property. Do you know when you read through the book of Genesis chapter 1? And you see how God created our world and our universe and the planets and the animals. And at, at the end of every day, God said, he reviewed his work. He scrutinized his work. He judged. He judged the work of his hands at the end of every day. And at the end of every day, the end of the first day, up until the fifth day, he said, it's good. It's good. But on the sixth day, when he created man and woman, at the end of that day, he didn't say it's good. Everything had finished and he said, it's very good. You see, when God turns his attention to you and I, it's not just good. It's very good. Your life is very good. And even though the enemy tried to spoil it and destroy that beautiful work that God had done in creating men and women to populate this earth, Jesus came and he crushed his head to return and restore everything that had been spoiled by him. And the work that God does in the world through his people now is far greater and supersedes anything that had been formerly created by his hand. You're the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's good works. This is what we're emphasizing. Now, earlier this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I said, Lord, how do you want to take this? What direction do you want to go? He said, listen, he said, highlight, highlight to my people. It's all been prepared. It's been prepared for you. These works, they've been prepared for you. They're good works. They've been prepared. They've been prepared by God. And he's meticulous about the details. They're supernatural, even though they're very natural. Supernatural in that God's involved in, in bringing them about, in that God's already pre-planned and pre-prepared them, that you're going to walk into them, and they're natural in that. They're going to affect change in people's lives. We see it throughout the Scripture. You read the, the, the account of the book of, book of Acts. You read the history of the early church. And you see them walking effortlessly in good works. Good works prepared beforehand for them to walk in. Waiting, yes, in an upper room for 40 days. Waiting for the Spirit of God, the promised Holy Spirit to come. Suddenly He comes with fire. They can't stay in that room anymore. They never go back to that room because they can't fit in it. They burst out onto the street and suddenly Peter's up on his feet preaching. What is that? Just days, well, a month earlier, he denied Jesus. Just a month earlier, he thought it was over. He'd gone back to his nets and back to his boats because he, he was disappointed with his life. And he never thought he could rise to anything beyond that failure and that moment where he had disowned Christ. 
just a month later, after a transforming encounter with the power of God, after a transforming encounter with the presence and the fire of the Holy Spirit, the man's up on his feet and he's declaring the Word of God boldly with faith. 3,000. 3,000 people saved. A man taken from a humble trade, just a fisherman, unschooled, not a communicator, unlearned, they called them, uneducated. Well, well, that's the greatest quality that follows any person. Uneducated in the things of religion, but schooled in the Spirit of God, unable to walk in his ways and suddenly he's up on his feet 3,000 get saved and then all of these prepared works start to just tumble out all over the place and the church is born and the church grows and Jerusalem the city can't contain it and it goes to other regions and then others are raised up and they go beyond their borders and they're reaching the ends of the earth pre-planned pre-ordained works to bring God glory the Word of God has not changed. The Word of God is still the same. You're not just a number. Your life is vitally important to God. You're not an accident. You're not here in this place planted by your own design. Yes, by choices that you have made. But behind those choices, I've said it before is the sovereign hand of God bringing us together collectively to make God's house what it is. And we have got a city to reach. We have got a community at large that is desperately in need, searching for answers, in need of help, in need of hope, in need of just some good old encouragement and goodness and the love of God lavished upon them. And we are those that will take that love and that message to them wherever we are. Good works planned, pre-planned for us to walk in. You know, just a few weeks ago, just over a month ago, a gentleman, pastor, was in the service and he came up to me and uh, he said to me, he said, hey Dave, do you remember me? I said, I said, I'm really sorry. I said, I recognize your face, but it's been a long time. I can't remember your name. And he said, he said, well, he said, my name's Samuel. I said, I do. I said, vaguely. I said, vaguely, I remember you. He said, do you remember the word that you gave me? I said, Samuel, mate. He said, in 2003, he said, you you, you, you prophesied to me. I said, oh, Samuel, I said, I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry if I got it wrong, first of all. I said, I said, look, I said, I said, I'm really sorry. I don't remember. He said, well, let me tell you what you said. He said, I was in Bible school here. And he said, one day, he said, you called me out of the class. And you said, you said Samuel, I want you to come to my office. Because I've got, a, I've got, a word that I want to give you. And he said, initially, he said, I thought I was in trouble. 
He said, then I went into your office and he said, you started to prophesy to me. And he said, you did not know that a month earlier I had really gone through a hard time, a circumstance in my life that had brought great disappointment. And he said, then he said, you started to prophesy. He said, you're about to meet your wife. So I said to him, I said, I, I, I said, I, vaguely, I said, I, he said, you're about to meet your wife. He said, your paths are about to cross. And he said, I, I was excited. He said, you see, he believed. He believed. He said, then, he said, you, you went over to your, your bookshelf. And he said, you pulled out two big books. And he said, you put them in my hand. And he said, and you said, Samuel, you're going to need these because you're going to be a pastor of a church. And he said, then you sent me out of your office. And that was it. He said, well, he said, a month later, I met my wife. She's here today, and here's my two children. Just, he said, I wanted to come, he said, because I just wanted to testify about the goodness of God and the Word of God. You see, I'm just a postman like you. Just a postman. We just deliver mail for God. We just deliver mail, encouraging mail, life-giving mail. And he said, he said, you'll never guess what. He said, now, he said, we pastor a church and we're doing fantastic. We pastor a church in London and we're loving it. And he said, I just wanted to come today just to let you know that God is true to his word and he fulfills it. Listen, listen, long after, long after, Somebody delivers a word to you long after somebody prophesies to you to encourage you. They may have forgotten about it, but you know what? God never forgets about his word spoken through the mouth of a person that really doesn't know what he's doing or knows what he's saying about somebody else's future. Long after, long after, long, long after, down the road of time, God fulfills his word, even if those who have spoken it have long forgotten it. Why? Because God's word cannot return to him void without accomplishing that for which he sent it. My God, he's awesome. He's awesome. I got to control it. I gotta, my head's going down there. I didn't expect that that would be a good work that had been prepared for me to walk in, to be a blessing in another person's life. I didn't expect that to happen. I was just being obedient to God. But what a blessing all these years later for a man to come to me and say that. That's a blessing to me. I'm telling you, it's going to happen all over this place. It's going to happen all over this place. There are dormant spiritual gifts in you people. They're planted there by God and they are going to come to life under the power of the Holy Ghost. Some of you are going to be doing stuff. My, if God showed you what you're going to be doing, we'd all freak out. But he's, you see, the church that Jesus builds is full of spiritual gifts. 
gifts that edify, gifts that equip, gifts that bring honor and glory to the risen King and liberate and set free people. Tell you, he'll do it. He'll do it. There's gifts that are dormant. Go to God. You need to use them. You need to get them out again. You need to, you need to expect, expect good works. I remember being in the church one day and I walked in and I, I, I didn't, you know, I don't, I didn't usually say this. I was only, I was in my late teens. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you want to use me this morning to speak to somebody, I'm here. And the Holy Spirit, I, and this was a small church. I knew everybody in the church. The Holy Spirit said to me, he said, there's somebody here this morning with suicidal tendencies. I want to break it. I want to break it. Once and for all. I said, blinking. Out. See, when God gives you these things, when he sets you up, when he sets you up like that, it, it really is sobering. And it's, I tell you, your heart becomes very heavy. It's another realm. It's the realm of the Spirit. It's supernatural. I tell you now, the things of the Spirit are not carnal. They're ordered and orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. And I looked around, man, I'm thinking, well, I know everybody here. Everybody's strong. Everybody's good. And then the pastor came up to me. He said, oh, Dave, he said, uh, now, see, God, God just arranges things. He said, have you got a word? I said, yeah, I have, Dave. He said, um, he said, what is it? I said, well, Dave, I said, there's somebody in this meeting this morning. This was before the service began. See, there's no beginning or ending of services with God. That's just our tradition and our formality right? No problem with it. No problem. No problem. But to God, it's all one. I said, there's somebody here with suicidal tendencies and God wants to break it. He said, come, give it. And there was this young girl that I'd never seen her before. And she'd come into the service desperate. And uh, the Holy Spirit said to her, through me, he said, you've got suicidal tendencies, is that right? Yes, she said. He said, Jesus is going to break it and set you free right now. This doesn't happen to me on rare occasions. There's been just a few, just a handful. I don't move really in the gift of the word of knowledge. I don't. I don't really move in the, in the gifts of healing yet yet and I'm telling you now I'm not going to pretend either if I haven't got the gift of healing operating in my life I'm not going to be any phony standing up here telling you that I can heal the sick if you got it I tell you everybody around you will know you got it we're not having any phonies no way man we've waited too long for an authentic move of the spirit in Wales and we're not compromising and we're not having any clowns 
telling you now. And so I don't operate in it, really. But on this day, and this girl, what had happened was she'd gone into a nightclub. And young people listened to me very carefully about the world in which we live, the nightclubs and the parties and all this. There is a spirit of this age, this wicked spirit that can take hold of your life if you walk out of what God wants you to live in. And this girl had gone into a nightclub and in a moment, young girl, teenager, just imagine this. She'd got jealous about another girl who was going out with a boy and she pulled a Stanley knife out of her pocket and slashed the girl from the top right down her breast, right down her thigh. And she was guilty. And at the other end of that, not only had she damaged the life in the nightclub because she, another spirit was operating through her, she was now going to commit suicide. And God in his mercy delivered her, set her free that morning. I'm telling you now, the Spirit of God is powerful. Powerful. And let me tell you, when the Spirit of God starts to move, one of the first things that returns to the house of God, reverence. Reverence. Holiness. An understanding of the awe of His presence returns. I tell you now, God is awesome. But I didn't, I, I didn't know, I didn't know that that good work, and it was a good work, because it set that girl free, and it gave her a new hope and a new future, and Jesus became her savior. She was delivered from all of that stuff. I did not know on that day when I turned up that God was gonna use me, but I just simply said, Lord, I'm available. And I don't even think that I initiated that. I think that God initiated that within my spirit through the Holy Spirit. What I'm, why, why I'm saying these things to you is this. Will you be available? Will you be available to walk in these prepared works that have been preordained, prearranged by God for you to walk in? That's all. That's all. You... The application of this message is simple. Just go away today and say, God, I'm available. That's it, friends. I'm available. As for me, as for this life, I am available to do your work, to do your bidding, to reach anybody that you want me to reach. That's all you have to do. You can't create these good works that have been prepared beforehand by God for you. You can't create them. And you don't have to. There's no pressure. Just be available. Amen? Paul was well aware. And we're going to finish here. Paul was well aware how God could change the course of life for an individual. Paul the apostle was well aware how God could rearrange futures and destinies and intentions and desires because he came face to face when he was going to Damascus 
with Jesus Christ. This man was the man that tried to destroy the church. Paul the Apostle, the writer of over two-thirds of the New Testament, was the man that was trying to kill and destroy and hinder the church on every front. He was at the stoning of Stephen. He witnessed it and he gave his agreement to it. This man was a murderer that we've read about this morning. The words that we've read from Ephesians chapter 2 were voiced by a man that was changed, that was guided by the revelation of God. But his past was horrendous. And he did it in ignorance, trying to fulfill the law of God. And suddenly on the Damascus road in Acts chapter 9, Jesus arrested him. Let me read it to you. And I'm going to continue on with some aspects of this next week. But let me read it to you, Acts chapter 9, from verse 1 through to verse 19. And we'll see how Jesus arrested Paul the Apostle and changed his life, changed his future, made him a minister, and used a vessel. A man called Ananias to reach him. It says this, then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues, uh, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, then he fell to the ground. Oh my God. I'm telling you now. When God, the power of his spirit comes into moments, the most appropriate thing to do is fall to the ground. It really is. And that's what happened to this man. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And when the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, and the men and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there for three days without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Ananias. God had prepared a good work beforehand for Ananias to step into, to seize and to take hold of and to become part of. Here we go. Ananias was his name. And the Lord, now 
the cert, now, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. I'm going to be teaching about that phrase next week. Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, after he'd said, here I am, Lord. What was he saying? I'm available right at this moment to do your will, to do your bidding. I understand that it's your voice that's speaking. It's different from any other suggestion, any other influence, any other voice that I know. Your voice is different. Here I am to do exactly what you want done right now. Okay, God says. It's all, you see, a here I am is all that God wants. That's all he wants. He doesn't want a biblical decree. A, de <laughs> a biblical degree in theology. Nothing wrong with it. Or all of our training and all of our knowledge and experience. I mean, what experience could Ananias bring to the table? The Bible doesn't disclose any information about Ananias other than he was a disciple. That's all. Nothing glamorous, but he's about to undertake and execute an incredible work for the kingdom of God in, in, in a man's life that would change the then known world and bring Christianity to the globe. And we still rely on his revelation. We're still blessed by all of the words that Paul brought out of his spirit under the influence of the power of God on his life. And Ananias, an unknown disciple living in, Damas in Damascus, in fear, in trepidation of what was happening, said, here I am. That's all God needs. For this city, that's all God needs from this church, is a, here I am. We may have our warts, we may have our wrinkles, we may have our, our, our bumps and humps, we may have our problems like any other church, but if God can get a here I am from a local church, the region, the city, the nation is going to be blessed. And we need to pray that we will be a here I am church in this city. We need to pray for every other church and every other pastor in this city that their congregations will have a here I am in their heart because I'm telling you now, not one church or any building can contain what God is going to do in this city. Every church, every pastor, every believer, every disciple in Newport needs to be mobilized for the harvest around them. God's not going to work exclusively with any one church. I don't believe it. He's going to work through a whole variety of churches, people that love God and who are faithful to his cause. You say, well, we've got some issues with, with churches in the past. Yeah, we've all had issues. Listen, forget the past. The past is over. There's nothing back there. 
It's dead and it's gone. Paul says, forgetting what's behind, I press on to the upward call which is in Christ Jesus. We need to break the back of Satan in this land. We need to break the powers of wickedness that are holding people. And I'm telling you, there's not enough of us in this room to do it single-handedly in Newport. We need the whole body of Christ. We really do. There we go. Thank you, Jesus. He got an here I am. Here I am. Here I am. So the Lord said to him, you see, when you give him a here I am, green light, green light, anything can happen. (laughs) But I tell you, if he gets that here I am out of your heart, you're going into the fast lane, church. You're going into the fast lane. You're going to do some things for God. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. God being specific about the work that he prepared, prearranged, preordained. God knew the address. God set it up. It's all sorted. It's all sorted, Ananias. It's just ready. It's ripe for you to go and take for my glory. Inquire at the house of Judas. For the one called Saul of Tarsus. Watch angels. Watch his response to this one. God just, you know, puts that in at the end of the sentence. Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Oh my God. I tell you, it's awesome. Bible is beautiful, beautiful. The honesty, the transparency that's recorded and not hidden. Because God knows that, hey, listen, I'd be the first one. I'd be the first one to be saying, oh my God, I can't do this. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many. He's got a big reputation about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. It's a bit like what happened this morning. The obstacle, the severity of the circumstance, the situation that seems so unscalable. And Ananias comes with all of his reasons why he shouldn't make the visit, why he shouldn't engage with the prearranged, preordained work that God had created for him to walk in. But suddenly God comes in to the conversation and says, but the Lord, and it says, but the Lord said to him, go. God wasn't sympathetic with his fears. And I'm telling you now, I mean, if Ananias had come to me and we'd have had a chat over the, over the table about this situation and making the visit, I would have probably been the first to say, Ananias, mate, don't make the call. Let's be honest. To understand the pressure, to understand how challenging this was for this man. But he says, no, go. He isn't sympathetic with his fears. He isn't sympathetic with his reasons. 
You're not going to have a conversation. It's not open to discussion. This is a command, Ananias. Well, I didn't think God was like that. (laughs) Oh, he is. He gets what he wants. Believe me. Go for he's a chosen vessel. The church don't yet realize it with good reason. But he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Next line is absolutely beautiful. Off the chart. And Ananias went. Beautiful. Faith. Obedience. Courage. In God. God said go. Ananias went. God outlined exactly and perfectly what Ananias was to do. The address, the details, what he was to do when he got there. Ananias objected, brought his reasons before God. God would have none of it. Wasn't going to sympathize with his fears. It wasn't open to discussion. Go, Ananias went. There's going to be some go moments in your lives, in my life in our lives, in our church history, as we move toward what God wants to do in this land. There's going to be some go moments. And we're going to, I tell you now, all of the reasons are going to come up from your heart. They're going to say, but God, but God, but God, but God. And God's not going to have any of it, church. He's not going to enter into a conversation with you. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. God is not open to any kind of conversation when it comes to disobeying His word and His will. Scary stuff. But that's the price that he's paid for you and I. Go, he says, Ananias went his way and he entered the house and lay in his hands. On him, he said, brother Saul, not Saul of Tarsus. That's where the conversation started with God. Saul of Tarsus, oh, that's, that's how God introduced this mission to Ananias. Go and lay your hands on a man called Saul of Tarsus in Judas's house on the street called Straight. And by the end, by the time that Ananias entered that house, he says, the first welcoming words, Brother Saul. Oh my God. This man had killed Christians. This man had tried to destroy the church. This man had been ransacking everything that Christians had tried to do. And now he's in Damascus and Ananias greets him. Oh, brother Saul. It's amazing what God can do in your heart. He can take an objection and he can make it and shape it to be something beautiful. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food and was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples 
in Damascus. What an incredible moment, an incredible encounter that Saul gets on the Damascus road. But oh, how Ananias must have been feeling to have obeyed God, to have been instrumental in the life of such a great leader that would one day shape the church and take it to regions and nations and, and cultures far, far outside of Damascus where he joined the disciples on that day. A day that had been prepared, pre-planned, for Ananias to walk in. Amen. Listen. People around you, people around me, we've reached out to them. We've spoken the good work of the good news of the gospel to them. Maybe they've rejected it. Maybe they have argued with it. Maybe they haven't received it. But God will bring a harvest. He will. I'm asking you today to go from this place. The outcome of this word, the fruit of this word, the immediate response to this word that's needed by all of us is this. Here I am. Here I am availability to walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. It's what makes your Christianity and your life in Christ abundant, blessed, exciting, and exhilarating. This is the abundant life that Jesus spoke about when he promised it in John chapter 10, verse 10. Is that okay this morning? I'm going to pick up again with this. With this next week, I'm going to pick up again, but I'm just going to pray right now. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Maybe today, maybe today, you say, Dave, I've heard about Jesus and I've listened to people singing about Jesus, but I've never prayed a prayer asking Jesus into my life. Today's been a kind of unusual day. You know, you've seen me sweating and spitting. And, but there is a normal person behind all of that. We love you very much. And you may never have asked Jesus into your heart. Oh, what a moment this is for you to ask the King of Kings, the Lord, the Savior, Jesus, into your heart. The Bible says clearly, if you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You, put your name in that. If you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You will experience this salvation, this free gift that Jesus died to give you. The forgiveness of your sins. And life eternal. I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. And then we're going to stand together. And we're going to sing. And if you've prayed that prayer, at the end of this service, there'll be people, our welcome team at the back, there, ready to give you a Bible. 
And you may want to share with them the prayer that you prayed, asking Jesus into your heart so that we can encourage you. If you want, I'm more than willing to chat with you. I'd love to know if you have prayed this prayer and we'd love to see you to be part of the family here in this church. Or if you're not from this church, in a local church where you're located, I'm going to pray right now. You're going to ask Jesus maybe into your life today. You've decided. You say, listen, I'm not satisfied with life. I know that there's more to life than the way that I'm living. Listen, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And your life is designed, designed by God to have a relationship with your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, your Savior. Pray this prayer right now. A miracle will happen. The moment that you open your mouth, it's incredible. The Bible says that you've got to use your mouth. You've got to use the words of your heart that come from your heart and direct them towards God and a miracle will take place. You say, well, that's so easy. Yeah, it is. It's really easy. And the miracle begins immediately the moment that you confess Christ. I'm going to pray this prayer. You pray it with me. You pray it with me. I'm telling you now. Don't be distracted by anything. This is life and death. This is life and death. And Jesus is affording you the opportunity to receive him as Savior. It's a vital moment now. Pray this prayer. Jesus, quietly in your heart. Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior, to forgive me of my sin, to make me a brand new creature. I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead and all so that my sin could be forgiven, that I could be acquitted and free from all of the baggage of life. I ask you now, I call upon your name for this gift of salvation to be given to me right now. Amen.